Hi there, Duke fans. Episode 406 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast coming at you. Exciting times. The Blue Devils are in the Sweet 16, and we've got to preview it. We have to look ahead at the big, big game coming up against Texas Tech. I am Jason Evans. I'll be hosting for you this week, and I am joined, as I always am, on this Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday late afternoon, by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Sam, how are you feeling today? You excited? We got, we got a big game in a couple of days. I am incredibly excited for this upcoming game. I'm also, I, I apologize if I don't sound as good as I normally do, I guess. I'm, I'm dialing in today from a, uh, from a rare, a place that is now considered rare, but that once upon, once upon a time would not have been, which is that I'm just in a corporate office building in my day job. What? Uh, and, and had to find, yeah, I had to find like a, an empty office for me to, to steal away for, for a little bit so that I could talk to you guys about basketball. Office, uh, an office, I don't even know what those are it's anymore. It's so weird. That is a foreign yeah. concept to me. <laughs> I, I tucked in my shirt today. I'm impressed you were wearing pants to tuck it in. <laughs> pants, shoes, the whole, the whole nine yards. And Donald Wine is with us as well. Donald, you got the prize though. You're in the most exotic place of any of us, right? I am in Mexico City, landed about an hour ago. I'm obviously here for the U.S.-Mexico game, which coincidentally will be taking place at the exact same time as Duke should be tipping off on Thursday night against Texas Tech. So uh, for those of you out there who are asking how I'm going to keep track of both, I'm going to try. That, that's, that's all I can do. Uh, <laughs> it's Mexico. CBS is not readily available here, so I'm going to use a VPN to try and log in and see if I can get the scores. But other than that, I'm leaving it up to the basketball gods to deliver us a victory. There you go, man. So let's get to uh, that uh, hopefully victory and, uh, and what it's going to take for Duke to beat Texas Tech. Uh, this is a, a really impressive opponent, and uh, I, I will freely say that I have spent way, way too much time over the past 24 hours or so watching tape, reading analysis, and all kinds of other stuff on Texas Tech. They're a fascinating, fascinating team. Before I get into my, you know, the, the crazy amount of stuff that I have to say about them, Donald, I want to come to you first because we usually ask you to tell us a bit about, you know, the team's record who they've played, who they've beaten, and how they've done, and all that other kind of jazz. So talk to me about Texas Tech. Yeah, so they are 27-9 and nine on, on the season. That's including uh, the two wins in the first and second round of the NCAA tournament. They were 12-6 and six in the Big 12 this year. But, guys, they have some very impressive victories, probably some of the most impressive victories that any basketball team has in college this season. They beat Kansas. They beat Baylor twice. They've beaten Texas uh, twice. They've beaten TCU Kansas State is probably the like one of the weaker Big 12 teams that they've beaten, and they beat them solidly as well. And really, their losses haven't been that bad either. Their strongest loss, or, or their weakest loss, I should say, is Kansas State as well. So they lost to Kansas, they lost to Oklahoma, they lost to Gonzaga and, uh, by 14 points early on the season. But guys, I know you're going to talk about this, but I just have to start by reiterating this. This is going to be the best defensive team we face this season uh they're they're number one in Ken Palm every single statistical category they are just tough they're just a tough team uh defensively and they're going to make it where their job is to frustrate you as a team to do you know bad shots bad decisions with the basketball so for us we got to take care of the basketball we have to make sound decisions make good shots uh I know we'll talk about offensive efficiency and that needs to be key here but uh, really they they will not they will poise and, and, and collect on any mistakes that you try to make. And that is their job is to try and force you to make mistakes. They may not steal a lot of, of, of balls, 
uh, or make you turn the ball over, but they're going to make you, their job is to make you do a bad possession, every single possession. And they're doing that very successfully this year and against some very, very strong competition. So Duke has his work cut out for him, uh, but it, it, let's make no mistake, it is still a winnable game, but we're going to have to bring our A game to do it. I noticed, Donald, a, an interesting quirk about their schedule that, um, uh, that I just thought was sort of interesting. Uh, this is a team that loves to play at home. Um, they, were, uh, they were undefeated at home. But in their 18 games that they have played either on the road or at neutral sites, you know, the ACC tournament, they had an early season tournament game, the, the Big 12 tournament, 18 games they've played at away or neutral locations. They're just nine and nine in those 18 games. This is a team that they're great at home, but they, they've had some not terrible struggles. And it's not like, like you said, no horrible losses in there, but they are clearly not nearly as good away from home as they are um, in their, you know, in Lubbock. Uh, so and, you, yeah. And flip and flip that with, you know, Duke this year, who uh, when it comes to neutral sites and road games were had, were very, very good. And they weren't as great at home in Cameron as we normally are. So this is a, this is a nice little battle here of, which which is going to seed first? I think the other uh, uh, kind of macro element here that is hard to understate is Texas Tech as as the underdog. Duke, of course, is 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 the favorite everywhere they go. Even if Duke is not favored according to you know according to Vegas or according to Ken and Pom. by the way, Vegas has Duke as a one point underdog in this game. Yeah, Duke, Vegas and Ken Palm both have Duke as one point underdogs. Ken Palm basically says this game is uh, is about as even as it gets. But in terms of narrative, Texas Tech, of course, is in the Big 12. They pretty much play little brother to Texas in, in all things, including the fact that last year uh, or the last few years, Texas Tech was one of the best teams in the country. They still are, by the way. Ken Palm says that they're the, they're the sixth best team in the country. They're rated higher than Duke, despite being a three seed and Duke being a two. But Texas Tech has, this, has a little bit of this little brother thing going on, so much so that Texas Tech's coach, from last year and the coach that brought them to the final four in 2019, Chris Beard left for Texas last off season. So uh, you can't really, you can't really forget that this element exists for Texas tech. And I just wanted to spend a second talking about their coach, Mark Adams, who has, is a, is a basketball lifer. He's 65 years old, but has been coaching basketball in college pretty much his whole adult life. And prior to this Texas tech job has never had a, D1 Power 5 job. He was the head coach at what was then called Texas Pan American for five years back in the 90s. But for the most part, he's been either a head coach at Division 2 or Division 3 schools. He's been an assistant. He was an assistant with Chris Beard most recently. So he was with Chris Beard at Little Rock. Um, and then, and then uh, Chris Beard moved on from Little Rock to, to Texas, where, um, where Coach Adams followed him there. But he has been coaching basketball at some level in college and mostly in the state of Texas too. Uh, that, that stint at Little Rock would be one of the few times that he left the state, but generally speaking, he really knows the landscape. Uh, and, and we like to celebrate, you know, Mike Krzyzewski has, has 1200 wins. He has all these accolades. Mark Adams has been coaching basketball almost as long as coach K has, and has been known not just in his current stop where I'm sure we're going to talk about the defense a ton, but has been known everywhere for just being an absolute menace of a defensive coach. He figures out how to get guys who are not the highest ranked. If you look at, at Texas Tech's recruiting, be it the transfers, a lot of whom have come from uh, low and mid-major programs or the guys that they're recruiting out of high school. These are not four and five-star recruits for the most part. They're getting three, four-star recruits. They're not getting, you know, if you think about the 
about the landscape in the Big 12, Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma. These are the schools that, that get all the guys. Texas Tech does not get those dudes, but oh boy, do they teach them how to play defense together. Yeah, it is really impressive. And, and I, I, I'm going to do, do a thing on the Texas Tech defense in a minute um, that probably will bore everyone to death. But uh, before I get to it, I, I did want to talk very quickly about the advanced metrics on them. Um, and, and this is an amazing contrast in styles, contrast in teams between Duke and Texas Tech. Uh, like, like, like you guys said, they're the number. Jason, six, Jason, as yeah. you're doing this, can you describe for the listener who has not been on the, who has not ponied up $20 for Ken Palm, how, like how visually Ken Palm displays the fact that these two teams are, are, are basically opposites of each other. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so Ken Palm does a page where he says, Hey, here's what happens when Duke has the ball. Here's what happens when Texas tech has the ball. And then everything is in like greens and reds. If you're really good at something, it's green. If you're bad at something, it's red. And, and there are different gradations of colors on there. And if you're red, green, colorblind, like I am, it's very hard to read. But I just <laughs> they have purple for you. They have purple for you sometimes. I don't, I don't think that Kempom has a, uh, has a, like a high contrast mode the way that Wordle does. So I need to, I need to request that in the, uh, in the, in the features uh, section. In, in any event, the striking thing is that like almost everything that Texas tech is really good at Duke is also really good at. And the things that Texas, Texas tech is not as good at Duke is not as good at. This is a true case of opposites attract. It is, you know, the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. Um, and it starts um, with Duke's offense and Texas Tech's defense. Like you guys said, Texas Tech is the number one, the best, the number one defense in the country. Duke has the fourth best offense in the country. So let's start with that offense-defense matchup. Um, Texas Tech, 11th in the country at turnover percentage. They are great at turning the opponent over. They get you into traps and things like that. They put you in trouble and you turn the ball over. But Duke... Duke is 20th best in the country at not turning the ball over. So Duke is really hard to turn over. Tech forces teams to take bad two-point shots. They have the 11th best two-point field goal defense in the country. But Duke, Duke takes a lot of great shots. Duke has the ninth best two-point field goal percentage in the country. And this just goes on and on. There, there are just so many categories where you look at what Texas Tech does well on defense, and it's something that Duke does well on offense. Um, now, one place where I think Duke may have a chance where Duke does something fairly well that Texas Tech doesn't do great is offensive rebounding. Um, Duke may have a chance to get some offensive rebounds because Texas Tech is just 84th in the country at defensive rebounding percentages. But it's like the only thing that they're not elite at on defense is defensive rebounding. And Duke has a top 50 offensive rebounding team. But the biggest thing to look for when Duke's offense is going against Texas Tech's defense is three-pointers because it, it, it jumps off the page at you. Texas Tech has one of the high, their defense allows one of the highest three-point field goal rates in the country, like top 15. And by that, I mean teams shoot a lot of threes against them. That's because it's really tough to get anything else against Texas Tech. But you can get threes against them. And that is going to be so key, so important for Duke. And then the other thing, the other little advanced stat thing to notice is they are not great about their free throw defense. And by that, I mean not free throw percentage that's just sort of a silly stat but in terms of texas tech does foul a good bit you can get to the free throw line against the men and if you look at some of the games they've lost this year that you know they lose games sometimes where their opponents shoot 20 25 even 30 free throws 
So that's, you know, that's something you can get against Texas Tech. It'll be interesting, Jason, to see how that plays out in this game, given how much we've talked about how in the NCAA tournament, the refs tend to tend to ease off a little bit in terms of calling fouls. And Duke is really good at drawing fouls because Duke has a lot of guys who are comfortable driving, whether that's Paulo Bancaro, Trevor Keels, Wendell Moore. Um, Slashing is 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 probably Duke's best strong suit on offense this year. And, you know, whether that results in a dump off or a, or a pass to a three pointer. So it'll be that 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 contrast is really going to uh, to come to the fore in this game. Oh, oh Sam, I'm going to talk about Duke slashing in just a minute. But Donald, you want to say something real quick? Yeah, I, I mean, you talked about the fouls, right, and how they send people to the line a lot. Remember last game against Michigan State, I talked about how Michigan State, whenever someone gets two fouls, they almost immediately go out of the game, that they don't play a lot of minutes from guys that have two fouls in the first half. Well, contrast that to Texas Tech, where 37% of, of minutes in the first half are by people with two fouls. So they trust these guys to not get a third. What means for Duke is that you can try and force them to get a third, and that means that you're, they will have to come out of the game. That is going to be interesting to see because – we're when we see guys with two fouls, we're not used to going right at them. And I think this is a game where we can take a couple of their key players out of the game if they do get into foul trouble. All right. I want to quickly just talk about Duke's defense versus the Texas Tech offense, which is probably the sort of the least interesting part of uh, part of this matchup, because uh, both these teams, are, they, they their bread is buttered at the other end of the floor. But uh, Texas Tech does do a good job of getting to the free throw line um, on offense. They're top 50 in the country at that. Um, uh, on the other hand, Duke is the second best team in the country at keeping teams off the free throw line. So this is one of the ways Texas Tech struggles to score. This is, you know, this is a team that wants to play games in the 60s. Heck, they, they sometimes play games in the 50s. Their game against Notre Dame, the, the team that they beat in the NCAA tournament, final score was 59 to 53. Um, Texas Tech is very comfortable in that area. And one of the ways they try and score points because they do struggle with it, is at the free throw line. But Duke is great, I mean great, at not letting teams get to the free throw line. Uh, this Texas Tech team is a, a pretty good offensive rebounding team. Not fabulous, but they're pretty good at it. That's something Duke needs to work out for. And they are a team that, um, that does a good job of gang, of team rebounding. Like they have, I think it's six different guys on their team who average better than four rebounds per game. They just They send a lot of guys to the glass, and they're very strong at that. Yeah, Jason, one of the one of the things that stands out, and I know we'll we'll talk about some of the individual players, but when you look at the at the roster of players, the guys who who get the bulk of the minutes, and there are a lot of them, uh, the thing that stands out to me about them is lots of guys who are in that six 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 seven six eight range, the sort of guys who who could be classified as guards or forwards, depending on exactly what your team makeup is, which means that there's a lot of guys who average three, four, five rebounds a game. There are not stars on this Texas Tech team. They really know how to play together. And, and I assume that there's a lot of this positionless basketball going on with them where, where anybody could be guarding in the interior at any given moment. So it's going to be an interesting contrast of styles where Duke has you know, a couple guys who really are bigs. Mark Williams, Theo John, Paulo Bancaro are big men. Paulo might step out to, to shoot a three, but, but, but a lot of their production both at the offensive end and the defensive end is in the interior, not so much for Texas Tech. And for Texas Tech, they have a lot of experience. I think the, the playing together part has come from years of playing playing with each other. They're one of the most experienced teams in the country. Contrast that with, with our team, Duke, which is one of the least least experienced teams in Division One basketball. So that, you know, we've, we've played, we haven't played well against teams that are experienced and have a lot of older guys. That is going to be, 
a real test for our guys to really go up against, you know, guys who are 22, 23 years old. So the, the last thing I wanted to mention about the Texas Tech offense really quickly was that this is not a great three-point shooting team. Maybe the first time in two weeks Duke is facing a team that, that isn't going to shoot a lot of three-pointers and isn't going to rain threes down upon us. That would be a, a nice change. <laughs> um, and, uh, and regarding turnovers, th that is something to watch out for. Duke has been awful. I mean, terrible at forcing turnovers lately. But Texas Tech is one of these teams that turns the ball over a lot. They, they, they have turnovers on exactly one out of every five possessions. Look, we said the same thing about Michigan State. And Michigan State cleaned it up and did not turn the ball over against Duke. But I'm really hoping that maybe, maybe Duke will have a team finally this week that doesn't that that, that gets a few turnovers and gives us a, a you know a few more opportunities than we've been getting lately. And then the last thing to mention about them is that they are not the quickest team around. This is not a team that on offense is going to try and score by driving to the basket and getting around you and that kind of thing. That's not the way Texas Tech plays offense. They are physical, they are big, but they're not super fast. And so I think that's part of the reason why they struggle a little bit on offense. All right, guys, uh, before I get into, I've got to, I'm going to give a deep dive on the Texas Tech defense. It's a fascinating defense to talk about. It's different, I think, than anything that we've really seen. But before I do that, Sam, I want to go to you. Give me a little bit on this roster. Who are the guys to watch out for? What are the names to pay attention to? Yeah, as I mentioned, it is, it is more of an ensemble cast than it is uh, a collection of stars. One name that I, I think I mentioned this on the on the last episode, but one name that may stand out to listeners is Kevin O'Banner, who was one of the stars of that Oral Roberts team last year that made the Sweet 16. He transferred out to Texas Tech uh, at the end of that season. Um, Ten guys in this rotation, basically, who who you know play at least a, a decent number of minutes. Nobody averages more than 30 minutes a game. They're very close to a couple guys who are close to averaging 30 minutes a game, but no one's over 30. So you're going to see a lot of that subbing out. And I don't know how much that is attributable to like foul trouble as much as it's just, you know, Mark Adams wants to, wants to run a, um, uh, wants to run a, a, a pretty fierce rotation, wants to give you different looks. And as I said, um, these guys are able to, to sort of play all over the court. Bryson Williams is one of the standouts here. He's a, um, he was a transfer. He's been a couple different places and he's now a super senior averaging uh, 14 points and four rebounds a game is probably one of their best scorers. Bryson Williams um, averages over 40% from three and, and is nearly 60% from inside the three point arc. So that's a guy to watch out for when, when Texas tech is on offense. I know that Jason mentioned that um, it's not like Texas tech is offense is the most prolific, but Bryson Williams is the guy to watch at six, eight. You could kind of imagine Wendell Moore guarding him, but you could also imagine Paula Bancaro on him. Um, in, in terms of guys who have been with the program for a long time, Kevin McCuller and Terrence Shannon are, are both third-year players who have been at Texas Tech for three years, so they would have been recruited by Chris Beard, not brought by Chris Beard to Texas, as, uh, as he might have been able to do, but stayed at Texas Tech and are also, uh, you know, on that on that topic, both still having really outstanding seasons. Shannon uh, is a is a pretty good shooter from outside. Kevin McCullough can kind of gets gets around the gets around the court a lot. He's notionally, I guess, the point guard in that he has the uh, in that he has the the greatest assist percentage. But it, again, this team shares the ball decently well. He's only averaging three assists a game. It's not like he's you know, 35 minutes and, and, and six or seven assists, not a great shooter. So maybe a guy who you want to try to leave the ball in McCullough's hands. Um, and as I mentioned, both McCullough and Shannon have been there for three years. I also noticed that Terrence Shannon played at IMG 
um, I, I didn't get a chance to look up on the rosters, whether he uh, played with Mark Williams, because Mark Williams is also an, an IMG guy, if I remember correctly, um, could be a, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if they overlapped, but would be a, a fun storyline. I know we talked during the Michigan State game about how both teams had transfers from Marquette. So um, maybe some more familiarity here. I, I don't think that they would have played there together because I believe I could be wrong, but I believe Mark Williams was only at IMG for his for the one year, and yeah. um a, a, and Shannon is is older, is a year older. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, speaking of age, um on the DBR forums, a poster named House P put up a a truly remarkable list that that really shows you the difference in the age of these two teams. Uh, get this, he looked at all the players who played at least five minutes in uh the the latest ncaa tournament game you know the 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 game in the round of 32 for both duke and texas tech and then he ranked them by age of the 10 oldest players nine of them are from texas tech theo john is the only guy theo john clocks in as the fourth oldest player in this game every other guy other than theo john of the top 10 oldest played for texas tech Tech. and they and 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 I said all the rotation players that matter here are pretty much all juniors, seniors, or super seniors. There's one sophomore that gets meaningful minutes for Texas Tech, but for, otherwise they're all old. And Jason, I don't know if you were going to mention this, but one of Duke's most experienced players is Wendell Moore, who's very young for his class. Yeah, so, w- Wendell Moore, arguably, you know, of of the major rotation players for Duke, the the oldest player is younger than everyone. And I mean, everyone on the Texas Tech team, Texas Tech has a guy who's about to turn 25. He's just a month or two away from being 25 years old. Duke, Wendell Moore's 20 and a half. And, and again, he's the oldest guy in this Duke team. It is men playing against boys. And it's something to be concerned about for sure. That, that man is going to be off his parents' insurance before he gets a degree. That's, that's wild. Well, actually, a lot of them already have their degrees. They're in grad school. Yeah, 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 I'm just I, I get your yeah. point. I get your point. <laughs> Before, before, stops, before he yeah. runs out of out his eligibility and he doesn't go to BYU. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, guys. Are you ready for it? I'm about to do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys a whole lot. I I I must have watched an hour of tape of analysis and other stuff on this Texas Tech defense, and it's fascinating. It's called the no middle defense. Um, some people say that it is the uh, Virginia pack line defense on steroids because it's more likely to generate uh, turnovers and, and the such than the traditional pack line, the way Virginia plays. Virginia is focused on not giving you a good shot. Texas Tech doesn't give you a good shot, but they also force turnovers. It's, it's why they have the number one defense in the country, and it's why that is their, their identity. They are strong, physical guys, and they protect the paint. They're not afraid to shove and hold and move you off your spot um, to, to protect that paint. They're super experienced. They know what they're doing. Um, and teams end up taking a lot of threes against them because that's the only shot you can get for the most part. I mean, look at the latest game when they played against Notre Dame. Notre Dame took um, 52 field goal attempts in the game. 52. 28 of those field goal attempts were three-pointers. That's 54%. And look, I know Notre Dame's a team that likes to shoot threes, but they shot 25% more threes against Texas Tech than they typically shoot in a normal game. So it, that, that's, the, that's just what Texas Tech gives you. It's the only thing they gives you. And, and let me explain how this no middle defense works. Um, it's like a man-to-man D, but they, they position their feet and their bodies in a way 
that forces you to the outside, to the sidelines, and doesn't allow you to get into the middle. No middle. That's why it has that name. And, and by doing that, as you get closer to the sideline, and especially as you get close to the baseline, they will double team, they will shift into traps, they will, you know, the closer you get to the basket, the more likely you are to run into a real problem because their help D is just fabulous. You know, like you guys said, Sam, I think you brought it up. They are full of switchable defenders, full of guys between 6'6 and 6'8 who, who don't get into mismatches. They can guard smaller guys. They can guard bigger guys. And when they play defense, the, the, the fact that they're always forcing you to the sidelines means that quite often you find yourself sort of trapped on one side of the court and it's really difficult and time consuming to get the ball back to the other side to get potentially an open shot from there. And, and, and that's why like they play at a slow pace because it is tough to find the shot you want. And oftentimes by the time you find it, the shot clock is running down. So I was really thinking about the way they play defense and what Duke likes to do in offense. And I'm going to tell you something. One of Duke's staples, one of the things that we do more than anything else, probably will not work against the no middle defense. And that is this. Jeremy Roach and Trevor Keels diving to the basket. Paulo Bancaro taking his man off the dribble. That's what you see from the Duke offense time and time again. It, it won't, it, I'm telling you, it just won't work against Texas Tech. They are so good at getting you into a spot that looked like it was a spot a minute ago and turns into a nightmare because you're suddenly double teamed and you've got to pass around and figure out how to get your way out of it. Um, or you just end up committing a turnover. You, you've got to be very careful with your passes against these guys. They are very active with their hands and their legs. They, they get tons of deflections that turn out uh, to the turn into plays where they're running the other direction. And bottom line, you've got to hit your outside shots. You've just got to. Um, because if this game is played in the 50s or 60s, which is what Texas Tech wants it to be, Duke, Duke's going to be in some trouble. If we can get it to the 70s, if we can hit enough threes and enough outside shots to get this game up around 70, 75 points, Texas Tech will be very uncomfortable. And, and that's got to be the formula for Duke. If you see this game being played in the 50s, Duke's in trouble. This is where I lament at the fact that the art of the skip pass has kind of waned in, in recent years in college basketball. Because what Texas Tech forces you to do is even if you rotate the ball around, they want you to do it at a slower pace so that their defense can adjust to it and move with the ball. Skip passes are real easy to do in this or against this defense to really shift them and get them out of sorts. But the problem is a lot of people don't practice it enough for it to be a useful tool at this point in the season. And Duke is no exception to that. We like to swing the ball around uh, many times, and we're going to get those opportunities. But the idea is to do it quickly, because if you do it as slow as Texas Tech wants you to do it, they're going to be able to adjust and they'll be able to the defense will be able to shift with you and you won't have that opportunity. So this is where I think skip passes would really work, because that would be a, a quick change and you could get an open three in a corner or on the wing on the other side. But alas, that's something that just hasn't been a focal point, it, not just at Duke, but just anywhere in college basketball over the last few years. As much as I'm nervous about Texas Tech's experience and the quality of this defense, one of the things I am grateful for is that Duke and Coach K get a few extra days to install new offensive sets Amen. For, for this yeah. game, hoping, and, and we are all hoping, that, um, that A.J. Griffin is healthy enough to, to run and run a lot in this game because it's going to be essential for Duke to have the outside shooting going be that Griffin or, or Roach who's come on strongly recently um, all of the all the offensive firepower needs to be 
at full tilt for for Duke in this game. And if Duke is going to win this, I don't know if we're I, we don't need to make predictions. It's not really our our normal uh, our normal way of doing business. But if Duke is going to win this game, I think Coach K is going to end up getting more of the credit than he than he sometimes does because it will have been uh, it will have been new offensive sets that separates Duke from Texas Tech because you know that Mark Adams is going to have them ready to go on defense. And three point shooting is going to be key, not just from the guys who do it well, but from everybody because you want to be able to spread that defense out and expose some of the holes that this defense can create if, if you spread them out. And that's going to go by, I mean, even Trevor Keels, I know he's been shooting, he has been shooting well lately, but again, he had that confidence hitting three late in the game against Michigan state. You want to see that because even if you have to put a man on him, that opens up a lane for someone else to be able to cut through or run around the paint. That is, it's going to be crucial to start out early by getting some threes down because that's going to make, Texas Tech be on their heels. Okay, well, there you have it, folks. We've given you, I think, everything you need to know about what will be a very challenging, very difficult opponent for Duke. And uh, the Blue Devils are going to have to earn their way into the grade eight. That is is absolutely for sure. Um, We're going to take a quick break here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. When we come back, we're going to look at a little bit of the rest of the tournament. There's some great matches coming up in the Sweet 16. We will preview all of it for you after this break. All right, welcome back, and we're going to take a look at the rest of the NCAA tournament um, uh, outside of uh, outside of the Blue Devils versus Texas Tech. And guys, I want to start with something really quick. Just a, a quick note that I noticed: um, Duke is the darling. Everyone loves to watch the Blue Devils. Our game against Michigan State drew 11.2 million viewers on CBS. It is it was easily far and away the most watched March Madness game of the entire tournament. Not only that, this past week. It was the most watched regular TV program on cable, uh, you know, normal broadcast TV anywhere. Duke, Michigan State was the number one program on all of television last week by a lot. It was the only program that had more than 10 million people watching. Um, So, Duke, we are we are ratings gold for CBS and for everybody else. We beat CSI and and NCIS and all those other 60 minutes, all those other programs. That, and that's that, why we're the late game on Thursday. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. That is why we are the late game. That's why um, we all have to stay. Well, not Donald as much, but why the rest of us have to stay up late. All right. So guys, I'm going to, I'm going to kick off our conversation about the rest of the bracket. I teased that I was going to mention this on our last show. I want to talk about the refs for a moment because uh, Brad Underwood, the coach of uh, Illinois um, uh, was furious about how his game was officiated. And I think I want to spend at least a minute or two talking about this. I think the refs have been egregiously bad. And to me, there have been like three or four moments that changed games. I mean, like really radically changed games. The first is, of course, that Houston-Illinois game. Illinois is down four points. They get a breakaway dunk. And, and um, I forget the name of the player. Uh, guy on Houston, uh, sorry, guy in Illinois got called for a T for hanging on the rim. It was, it was absurd. I, I don't think I've ever seen a hanging on the rim call that was as bad as this one. He was, his momentum was carrying him forward. If he'd let go of the rim, he would have fallen into the crowd and cracked his head on the backboard. It makes no sense at all. And Brad Underwood implied that the ref may have had it out for his team. He said that it was deflating. It changed the momentum in the game. Again, it was a four-point game when this happened, and Illinois 
you know, was completely deflated after it and they lost. The other, the other instance I wanted to mention, I thought Brady Manick's disqualification in the UNC Baylor game was ridiculous. Look, I'm, I'm not here to defend North Carolina and they played terrible in blowing a 25 point lead to Baylor, but Brady Manick should not have been tossed out for, I don't know if it was, I'm not going to say it was definitely an inadvertent elbow, but it wasn't an elbow that, that says, send me to the, to the locker room for the rest of the game. And then there was also, there was a game in the, in the first round where there was a guy who shot a three and he was clearly hit on the wrist. The ball ended up being an air ball. It would have tied up the game. No foul was called. That was absurd and cost the team a game. And then the last one is Arizona against Texas Christian. Mike Miles of Texas Christian is dribbling the ball and he just gets shoved to the ground. And, and no call is made with about three or four seconds left. He should have been at the line shooting free throws. Instead, Arizona almost got a slam dunk to win the game. Can you imagine if no call gets made and that slam dunk had been made in time to, to actually win the game for Arizona? It would have been- an And it was like the closest. Yeah. Like he was so close to having the dunk. Yeah. But, but I'm saying if it had happened, you would have had an egregious officiating mistake as one of the top highlights of the tournament. It would have been just, it was great. Don't you guys Cameron agree? Officiating has been terrible. It's been terrible. Cameron agrees. Uh, and I don't, I don't have to go against Cameron. If Cameron agrees, I agree. Yeah, my dog's barking back here. <laughs> all right. Uh, what else you all got on the tournament? What, what, what stuck out to you in the first two rounds that you really want to chat about? For I need me, Donald to talk about how good his bracket is. Yeah, for me, it's my bracket. Um, because I'm going to tell you right now, I can go on a, on a whole tangent about how I made all the best picks and I did all this research and just really honed in on each individual, uh, individual matchup. But I'm going to tell you this, guys, I've been very, very lucky uh, to get this far with, with a bracket that has 12 of 16 uh, Sweet 16 teams and six of the eight Elite Eight teams. Only no, wait, wait, wait. wait. What, yeah. what percentile are you in? On I'm in ESPN. the 99th percentile on ESPN. That's outrageous. <laughs> yeah, like it. And, and here's the thing: on the women's side, I had a, I did a women's bracket, and I know our, our our ladies aren't in it, but I did one on that side. And entering uh, yesterday, I was in the 99th percentile in that bracket too. I had a couple of upsets that dropped me down to 88. percent What was me? 88. percent But I I don't know what I'm doing right here, but I like that I'm doing it right. That I, I wish I had put money on some of these things because I would have I would have cleaned up. Donald, you might uh, you might be the the guest uh, on on the yeah. Duke Basketball <laughs> Report podcast if you uh, if you manage if to he pull wins this the pool. he's tied right now I, he's tied for the top. Of I was going to say that I was going to say it's going to be sad if you win this bracket challenge and lose the stats game. I, honestly, I'll take it. I, I will. Hey, it's much more impressive. It. I will get it for a whole year. I'll walk in there with the belt and everything. By the way, I figured out why my bracket and why everyone's bracket sucks. It's because we, I, I always look at teams that are hot late in the season. I'm like, oh, the, these guys are playing really well. So like, oh, I was like, oh, I'm all over Tennessee. They just won the SEC championship. They're out. Virginia Tech, they just won the ACC championship. They're out. Iowa, oh, Iowa's the hottest team in the land. They just won the Big Ten championship. They're out. I mean, all these teams that did great in their conference tournaments just got destroyed in the, in the first round of the tournament. I think for me, the for my bracket at least, the – Big upsets were mitigated. They weren't teams that I had going super far. They may have been in the Sweet 16. Uh, Tennessee is, my, is, is one of my Final Four teams, so that's the biggest one that I had. But every other loss that I had in the first round was mitigated by them losing 
in the second round or the Sweet 16. So it wasn't as much damage. Meanwhile, uh, you know, uh, uh, what you call um, Miami is one that I picked. I picked Miami over Auburn, not necessarily because they're they're my alma mater, but because I thought they had a good matchup. And sure enough, they did. Like those sort of things are the ones that really stand out. And also, finally, St. Peter's messed up for everybody. So I don't get hurt by that because St. Peter's, it's not like someone had St. Peter's in their, in their final four, unless they went to St. Peter's and they were doing it as a joke. Like everyone would, whenever Kentucky lost, that just messed up for everybody. So that keeps me in the running for some of the big prizes. You know, as many upsets and craziness as there's been, I have a, I have a, a family pool there, you know, between me and my brother and my sister's families and all our, all the kids and spouses and all that other kind of stuff. We've got like almost 20 people in this in this big family pool that we've been doing for years and years. And we're all ACC fans. A lot of them are North Carolina fans. Then there are Duke fans. And then my my one of my nephews now goes to Miami. Um, and I think that there isn't a single person in our in our family who doesn't have a, a national champion still alive because we all picked Duke or some people picked Gonzaga uh, or UNC or Miami. Like my, my nephew has Miami winning it all. And, and he's still doing really well. So, uh, yeah, so it, 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 the ACC has been surprisingly good. Um, you know, considering we were supposed to be the worst of the Power Six conferences, the ACC has the best record of any conference. We're eight and two. The Pac-12 is four and one. So I guess they're sort of tied with us, but they've got fewer teams alive than we do. The ACC still has three teams around. The Big 12 has three teams. And then the Big East, Big, uh, Big Ten, Pac-12 each have one team. SEC, which supposedly was so great this year, Arkansas is the only team left. The uh, the, the ACC, you know, if this is when it matters, the ACC sure looks pretty good. Yeah, let, let's not um, let, let's not do too much revisionist history here. Uh, if we played this thing again, or if we did an ACC SEC challenge right now, the SEC would still probably kick the ACC's butts. Uh, but in this small sample where where people get to hang banners, it's very cool. Okay, I can I can I can live with that. That's fine. Hey. It's, it's a one-and-done tournament. It's a small sample, but the ACC sample is doing pretty nicely. Guys, anything else, or should we, uh, should we roll on this? I wanted, to, I wanted to just look very quickly at, some of the, at, at, at what the scenes are going to be like in some of these places this weekend, because Duke is in the corner of the bracket that is the chalkiest. It's just the one, two, three, four, and, and all four of those programs' fan bases are likely to show up. Well, I've talked to a couple friends who are in the San Francisco Bay Area who have been who either got tickets and paid a lot of money for them or are trying to get tickets and stomach the fact that if they're going to see Duke for the one time on the West coast, I know we already played in Vegas this year, but truly on the West coast, uh, which doesn't happen very often, if ever, uh, they're going to be paying many hundreds of dollars for, uh, for this opportunity. So, so that is a, is an interesting dynamic. Meanwhile, the bracket with the most chaos is the one uh, is the one in the East region in Philadelphia where Purdue is the highest seed left, but the school that probably has the best geographic advantage is, is their opponent, the 15 seed, St. Peter's, which is, uh, which is in New Jersey. It's a small school, but you can bet that anybody affiliated with St. Peter's is going to be showing up there. And then the one other one that I thought was going to be interesting heading into the tournament, and, and one of the, the picks that I had made was, um, was Wisconsin going kind of far in the, in the Midwest Regional because they got to play their opening weekend games in Milwaukee and then, and then they got to play, and then they, they should have been playing in Chicago for this weekend. Uh, Wisconsin managed to lose to Iowa State in Milwaukee uh, 
in uh, in in the round of 32. So they're out now, which means that Kansas and Iowa State are going to be the best represented, probably programs in in Chicago. I would not be surprised if the United Center is entirely Kansas and Iowa State fans. Donald, I don't know. I don't know if uh, if if your Miami brethren are going to travel well to Chicago in in March to see a basketball game. Uh, they normally travel fairly well on the East Coast, but not. I don't think they're going to have a bunch of people in Chicago. Um, but I will say this: they will be loud and boisterous. They they will they're they're jazzed up about getting to another Sweet Sixteen. So anyway, yeah, so- I, I just think it's I think it's interesting as we as we tune into these games to to know which fan bases kind of show up. I, this is not a I'm not trying to make this a uh, oh your fan base is better than the other because you showed up for these games. It's hard to get tickets. And it's a quick turnaround. And especially if you're one of these double digit seeds, you probably didn't even expect to be there. So uh, anyway, fun to watch. Oh, it is tons of fun to watch. And we will be watching it alongside all of you. That's going to do it for this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason. He is Sam. He is Donald. The Blue Devils play late on Thursday night against Texas Tech. We will be with you very shortly after that game is done to tell you all about it and hopefully to preview what comes next. Fingers crossed. Exactly, guys. (laughs) Uh, Once again, we're the DBR Podcast. Please reach out to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We want your headlines. We want your questions. We want your comments. We want your photos if you're going to the game or your personal experience, whatever it may be. We love those kind of stories. Um, And uh, that's about it. Again, Jason, Sonald, Donald. Sonald. <laughs> Jason, Donald, and Sam. Jason, do you want to do this whole this whole <laughs> outro again? No, no. It's fine. Sonald. That's who I am. <laughs> DBR Podcast signing off. Duke Band, take us home. Yes, I hear you fine, Donald. Um, you're hey, sorry. a little overmodulated. Overmodulated. Well, um, there's not much you can do about it. it just it doesn't sound. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I have Bluetooth um, in here, so. Yep. That's um, how do I sound? Uh, keep talking. Check, check, mic check. This is a mic check for Sam Klein. So uh, you sound a little hollow as well. It just it sounds like you don't have a microphone right in front of you. Check, check. What does it sound like right now? So that's a condenser mic. And yeah, yeah. It doesn't. It's designed to pick up the whole room, and yeah. holding it close to you doesn't do any good. It um. Let me try uh, without it.